Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So, uh, something that's happened to me uh, in, I guess, maybe recent years, probably, is that I have really fallen in love with maritime sort of expeditions and stories and uh, especially ones to the North Pole, and you know that, that, that require you know survival and just incredible obstacles and people searching for places no one's ever been, unmapped territories. I just love it, uh, and so I had recommended to me a book uh, by Hampton Sides called "In the Kingdom of Ice." And uh, so this is in the late 19th century when sort of Arctic fever was really at uh, an all-time high. And people just thought of the North Pole and just wanted to discover, you know, your, your sort of your explorer types really wanted to get a flag somewhere. They wanted to find what's going on there. Um, so James Gordon Bennett, who was extremely wealthy, he was the owner of the New York Herald at the time. This is late 19th century, like 1870s. Um, he decides he wants to fund a U.S. naval expedition uh, to go explore, see if he can find new territory. So he gets a guy by the name of George Washington DeLong, who had been out there on a previous trip, didn't really accomplish what he wanted to, but learned a lot. And so he gets this guy, and he gets 32 men, and they head to these uncharted Arctic waters uh, on the USS Jeanette. That's the... That's the deal. So July 8th, 1879, they leave San Francisco and head out there with all this fanfare. Um, everything they're about to do, every, everywhere they're going, everything is being based on uh, a fellow by the name of Peterman, who was a cartographer at the time. So he had created all these maps for different things. He was actually quite proficient um, and, and probably the leading expert. And so he had this ability, you know, to just sort of imagine what's going on out there and draw these maps. And he sort of, this whole expedition was based on what he believed to be a, uh, he called it a thermometric passageway, gateway. That through the ice, there would be a, there would be a uh, sort of a, you know, an open sea passage that you could get through and and get to where no one has gone before. So they based the whole trip on that. Well, it turns out that there was no passage. And this ship got into ice. It sunk them. So there's this survival story, which is, you know, part of what I love reading. And then, and you see who made it, who didn't make it. And this was an incredible story. So I'm reading it, but the writer you know, sides, says this, and I wanted to read it to you. He says, the team, these men, had to shed its organizing ideas in all their unfounded romance, because they, they loved doing this. They loved it. And to replace them with a reckoning I love this line. A reckoning of the way the Arctic truly is. 
In other words, you're going to smash into reality one way or another. And if you have the wrong picture of it, you don't win that battle. They were headed to a place, listen to this, that didn't exist. And of course, that's overwhelming in this sort of story, but I think it fits into this whole theme that we're talking about. And that is in this series, in this time of year, when we're trying to figure out what things we ought to be doing in our lives, and we look at the categories that are the most important. Uh, I said last week, as we're looking at, you know, putting little habits in your life, little changes slowly but surely, and you're making these small adjustments, to remember not to let any of them be ultimate. Because they they can't bear the weight of it. You'll you'll end up sort of, you're, you're sort of heading a place that doesn't exist. Whatever, whatever, one you, whatever you think is ultimate or f- ultimately fulfilling, if it's any of these categories, like if it's your kids, they'll crush you, just like the ice. If it's money, it'll crush you. If it's anything, you'll see. And w- as we go through the series, you'll see uh, how each of these categories get addressed. Um, so you've got to figure out what's ultimate, because you don't want to be pursuing something that ultimately is not the thing. So my advice to you at the beginning of this series is to look to Christ. Look to him for help in determining what is ultimate. My estimation, no one comes close. No one even comes close to him in determining what matters ultimately. I heard a preacher say a couple weeks ago, and I've had to meditate on it the to see if I agree with each of it, all of it. But he said, following Jesus will make your life better and will make you better at life. And so when I first read that, I thought to myself, well, no, life's not always great following Jesus. And that's not what he means. Life's not always great for all of us. But those who are following Jesus can figure out how to make greatness out of it if he's guiding you toward the ultimate. And that was his point. You can do life better if, if he's at the reins of it, determining what's ultimate. So what I want to do today is I want to sort of help us determine what's ultimate. And, and then I sort of want to lead us into the first, what I think is the most critical habit you have on a daily basis. Your most critical habit. All right. So to do that, I'm going to take you to a story. It's a very familiar story for those of you who've been in church for a while. And so as soon as you hear the names, and as soon as you, you know, get sort of acclimated to the environment you've heard, uh, it's easy to check out of stories like this. And I don't want you to check out. I want you to really engage and say, God, speak to me through this story. Because it's what happened to me this week. So this is the story. The story is this. Now, the only background I'll give you is we're in Luke chapter 10. And by the time you get to Luke chapter 9, and there's 24 chapters, you get to 18, the journey's over. Now it's the passion of Christ. He's going to die on a cross. So from 9 to 18 is this journey toward Jerusalem. So they're traveling mode. So Luke is constantly telling you Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem because that's where he's going to die. And so it's a journey. And along the journey, Jesus is taking opportunities, everyone he can, to help people know what it means to follow him. What does it mean to follow Christ? All right. And so in this particular thing, they're traveling along and they enter a village and a woman named Martha welcomes them in her home. 
Okay, so you know Martha. You've heard the name before. She traveled with Jesus. Uh, he stayed at her house a lot, and a lot with the disciples and everyone else. And she had a sister whose name was Mary. And in the house, she's seated at the Lord's feet, and she's listening to his word. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to Jesus, and she says to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So that's our story. Uh, And what we learn in this story, I'll just go ahead and give you the sort of the key thing, is that this journey that you're on in following Jesus requires, it's an invitation to Get really personal and intimate with him. Personal and intimate with him. That's sort of the the description of the relationship God wants to have, Christ wants to have with you. All right? Mary is sitting at his feet. Okay, this language right here is the language used in the day of anyone who was following any rabbi. And whoever's speaking into your life, whoever you're listening to. Okay, you sat at their feet, literally. You literally sat at their feet, and you took in everything they said. Here's what the Mishnah says, Jewish laws sort of combined in it. Let your house be a meeting house for the sages, and sit amid the dust of their feet, and drink in their words with thirst. That's what you did. If you were a disciple of someone, you sat at their feet. You took in everything they said. You wanted to know everything they said. And so that's what Mary is doing. Now, in the story, you have these two sisters, Martha and Mary. And you're going to feel the tension in the story uh, literally almost um, immediately. You'll feel the tension. And it's all tension we can relate to. For instance, there are pragmatic issues. If you're hosting people in your home, you know there's, there's time crunches. You, you, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, and then as, the, as it gets closer, the people are about to ring the doorbell, you know, <laughs> you know, and any man in here who's got a wife who really likes hosting and really wants to, want the whole thing to come off well knows what a miserable experience it is to be a man who has a wife who loves to host, okay? I mean, you're doing things no one ever does, Okay, to clean and set up, and it's like it's a miracle that it happens. And there's lots of stress in the house, and every single couple, you ever go to anyone's house, you know they had a fight before you got there. So you just live with that. You just, you know they had a fight before they got, and they're gonna act all beautiful, like, oh, there's no problem. And they're not even gonna talk for a week, this couple. (laughs) That's how it is in my house. Kids hate me, everybody hates everybody after you leave. So there's pragmatic issues, there's time crunches, there's things that got to get done. There, is, there are expectations to be met. That's the tension. We all know and feel it. Uh, there's relational issues. you got a, you got a sister dynamic going on here. That's going to add some tension without question. There's unspoken rules between us. Uh, there are cultural issues. In that culture, you didn't have to be a guest to go into their home. You, you or somebody that they knew, you could be somebody they didn't know 
because the culture was open door, put a candle in the window at night so that travelers knew they could go to any home and be taken in and taken care of. It was the culture. And so to do that and to offer it well, I'm going to imagine all kinds of people, uh, homes and families were set up for it. And they loved it. And it was part of the culture. And so there was a cultural expectation. There's a relational expectation. There's a pragmatic expectation. There's cultural ones. And there's even spiritual ones because she's going to do something we need to think about. She's going to go to Jesus about this expectation. So spiritually speaking, she in her head is thinking, I'm doing the right thing here, and I need Jesus to help me. And so what Martha's about to do is Martha's about to make a good thing an ultimate thing. And we're great at that. We're great at taking good things and making them ultimate things. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. We need Martha's. If you invite me over to your house and you're Mary, eh. All right? Martha's. You got to have them. Uh, somebody's got to cook or we're going to starve to death. So Martha's aren't bad. There's good things going on in that kitchen. I guarantee it. But you can make a good thing ultimate. And to Martha, it feels very much like her energy and her activity are all geared geared toward the right thing. Relationally, culturally, and pragmatically. Um, She's serving, she's helpful, she's being useful. She feels good about herself, like the way we all do when we perform in the thing that we love. uh, But it turns out that there's there's more to it than the meal. Martha is a little more self-focused than she might have understood in herself. She wouldn't have understood it, but you could hear it in her language. Uh, I have been left by me. So me. I'm alone. I'm doing all the work. So it's pretty self-focused. Even though in her head, she's thinking, this is important, this is useful, and I'm even doing it for Jesus. And he's our, Jesus is our guest. Okay, that's big. Who have you ever had at your house? Bigger than Jesus. This is a big day. All right, so let's not diminish it in any way, but there's, there's more to it for Martha than just pulling off a good meal. And Jesus knows it. And he's going to point it out because he's going to say to her, Martha, this is the word. You're distracted with all of the things. This is... This is the whole idea of you're doing things right, but you're not doing the right things. This is the ship. If you know anything about George Washington DeLong, who took this journey to the Arctic, you know how passionate he was about the Arctic. And the book describes how he got that way, to the point where he's willing to leave his wife and kid. Loved it. And he was meticulous. He did things right. He, would, he didn't end up at the right place. So that's possible. You can be doing the right thing. So she's distracted. And the word distracted here means being pulled away. It means literally being pulled away. So there's a good thing, but you're being pulled away from an ultimate thing. And that's something we're always dealing with. On any given day, you and I, we're always doing We're always potentially getting pulled away from an ultimate thing by a good thing. That's what Jesus points out to her. 
And her request to Jesus, she's completely missing this about herself. And she makes this request to Jesus. Tell her to help me. Now, the way that phrase is constructed in Greek is it assumes a positive answer. It assumes how Jesus is going to answer. She asked the question knowing full well that Jesus is going to say, yeah, Mary, get in there. What are you doing? And I'm going to tell you, if you guys were reading the story and you were in that situation, maybe we were sitting in the living room, you might think to yourself, yeah, Mary, looks like Martha's killing herself in there. And we would all sort of go, yeah, who's not helping? And you'd feel bad for a minute. And you might even think, just like Martha, that Jesus is going to say, get in there and help, because that's the thing right now. It's a a great setup. And so she's a little irritated at Jesus that he hasn't really figured this out. And you know she's kind of thinking, surely, in the question, the way it's phrased, you understand what I'm saying. And you know how hard I'm trying to work for you. It's really about her. What she says is about him. Now, if you're Jesus, this is a really awkward moment. I hate, like in our home, the most intimate people in your life, I hate the being in the middle. You know, between the, the, one of the sons and the wife. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead. Drive away. Never come back. Now, you don't want to be in the middle of this. And she's going to stick Jesus right in the middle of this. And, uh, and you're like, man, Jesus, good luck. Because you got two sisters. One of them's not going to like you in a minute. That's the idea here. Now, what does he say to her? Martha, Martha. This is a double vocative. That means it's a double introduction. I'm going to say your name twice. If I say your name once, one thing. If I say your name twice, I am. Really, really cautious and sincere, and I want you to know that I love you more than anything. (laughs) I love you so much. It's so sincere. It's so tender. This is Jesus being so tender in a moment like this. And listen, we need Jesus to be tender with us because we're constantly doing this, exchanging the good for the ultimate. Don't you want him to be tender with you today? I bet you do. And so he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're bothered. You're overburdened and distracted and stressed over so many things. Who knows where all the pressures are coming from? But only one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen it. And it won't be taken away from her. Let me just... Step away and and say this to you. What you get irritated about the most, what you do not like to be criticized about, whether it's your cooking or the way you do life, something specific about you that you love the most, it's the place where you get praise. If you get any praise for it, you'll start almost prophetically living out a life if you get praised for it. She dresses so well, then you'll always dress well because you get praised for it. You get praised for it, you'll do it. And I wonder how many times Martha 
got her significance and security from being a great host and a great cook. And now it's all about to fall apart. Pots boiling over, you know, things are burning and, and it's not going to be on time. And all the things that would stress out a person who found a lot of significance in being a host. That's where she got her praise. So what do you, what do you get criticized about and you can't handle it? That'll, that'll sort of point to you what you think's ultimate. What matters to you the most. And Mary is clearly finding something in this beyond just a meal. Because what Jesus says to her is so profound, it's so overwhelming. He says one thing. He's going to say one thing is ultimately needed. One thing is ultimately nourishing. You know what this phrase is? You know what this word part is? Probably not the best translation of that word. It's probably portion, the good portion. It's the same sort of idea as the meal. It's as if he is saying, Mary has chosen the best meal. Mary's chosen the best meal. Mary has chosen the thing that will nourish her the most. It doesn't make her look good in front of company. She's going to have to take some heat from her sister. She's going to violate some of the cultural dynamics and she's going to miss some of the pragmatic issues that go into the daily routines of life. But what Mary's doing will be ultimately nourishing. Even though in the moment it will not taste as good, it might not taste as good as the praise that would come from being a great host like Martha, she's willing to take in what matters and what is ultimate. Now, he hasn't told us really what that is yet, the one thing. But whatever it is, it's ultimately needed, it's ultimately nourishing, and look at this. This is how you really know this is the test. It can't be taken away from you. If it doesn't last forever, it's not ultimately meaningful. You can't get, your relationships here won't last forever. Your marriage won't last forever, so don't make it ultimate. You love a person, you can give them all you want in your life, but they're, they're not going to live forever. Here, your money's going to run out. Something's going to happen. It doesn't matter what you put in. If it's not ultimate, if it can be taken away, don't make it ultimate. Or you'll be disappointed. You'll be heading into a place that doesn't exist. So, it's got to be lasting. See, the thing about meals, Jesus is trying to say, the thing about some meals is they just go in and out. In other words, if it can be wasted, if it can be waste, it's not ultimately going to be fulfilled. And what Jesus says in, the, in, in, his, in his beautiful way, is, this is Jesus pointing you past the thing in your life that you've made ultimate. This is what he does so well, so tenderly. That's not the thing. Remember what Jesus said when he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my, what? My word never will. You're either sitting at my feet and taking in my words and listening to what I say is ultimate, or you have discovered what's ultimate for yourself and you're just running with it. And you're gonna end up in ice. That's what he said. What I'm saying is ultimately real. So what's the one thing? And how 
Do we arrange our lives around the one thing? Well, that's the important question. We're going to answer it here in our time that we have left. What's the one thing? Well, verse 39 gives it to us. Uh, Let's go right here. Let's look at it this way. Martha has a sister named Mary. Mary was seated at the Lord's feet and listening to his word. She is following him. She is absorbing every word he says, wants to know how, what he thinks about reality. That's what's going on. So at the end of the day, it's FaceTime with Jesus. So I get this, uh, you know, thing about a series like this, you get to talking about habits, and there are some of you, you're like crazy disciplined. You really have, have, you read a lot on on habits. I, I mean, I've gotten emails, read this article, you ought to buy this book. You know, I've got it from everybody. Will Cothran hands me, a, uh, gives me the title of a book he said he, he and his company just read. So, uh, so I said, I'll get it. And the reason I got it was because of the title. It's called The One Thing. The same thing Jesus says here. So I said, I've got to get that one. I want to see what he says. I literally read it yesterday. It came in the mail. I picked it up and didn't put it down. Read the whole thing. It's fantastic. Okay? It's fantastic. It's called The One Thing. I'll put it up here for you. And... Uh, it's about results, you know, getting good results in your life, doing good habits, the kind of thing, all centered around one thing. If you, if you read it around the one thing that's going on in this text, it's even better. Okay, it's even better. And so I did. Well, anyway, one of the things that I loved about it, okay, came really toward the beginning of the book, and this is what locked me in and made me stay in. Uh, so he gives you all these things that you're thinking are probably right in your head. It's the way you approach life. Like Martha's really ingrained culturally, relationally, uh, personally, uh, pragmatically. She's ingrained. She has a way she thinks life ought to be done, and she can't get it out of her head. Uh, And it's just devastating to her. Mark Twain said this. I got to throw it in there. I didn't say it in the first service, but I loved it. He says, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And see, that's Martha. She was confident when she approached Jesus of what the right thing was to be doing, what other people ought to be doing, and how she ought to be viewed, and what she valued was important. Uh, anyway, in this book, one of the things that he does in here is he talks about GM has this issue. And he, they call on some guy to substance. His last name is J-U-R-A-N. Jaron, Haran, I don't know exactly how they pronounce it. Anyway, this guy ends up writing a book on solving this problem for GM. You can read the book to find it. I don't have time to give it to you. It's called the Quality Control Handbook. And what he ends up determining after using uh, Pareto, who had come up with a mathematical equation uh, that said that, you know, it's the 80-20 rule. 80% of your results come from 20% of your effort. And so what he deduced from that is something called Pareto's Principle of Unequal Distribution. You can go back and listen. Don't, don't pay attention too close. This is just big words. Just pay attention. Unequal distribution. You're like, well, what's that? So that's what I'm saying. I'm reading this thing. He says, Pareto points us to a very, something very important. The majority of what you want will come from the minority of what you do. So that means what you're filling your day with. You might be filling your day with a bunch of stuff that no one's going to talk about at your funeral. That's what we're talking about here. 
What am I really doing in other things? Because if you're a checklist person, then you're just a person who likes to check. I did a lot today. But not, not a lot of it really turned the big knobs in your life. They didn't really change the direction and course of the family. They didn't really do a whole lot. You were just busy. And so he says his great insight was that not everything matters equally. The 12th thing on your list does not equal the first one. At least it shouldn't. And then he says, some things matter a lot more. You need to know what those are. And so he says this, the inequality of effort for results is everywhere in your life. If you'll simply look for it. There will always be just a few things. Here's the nut of it. There will always be just a few things that matter more than all the rest. And out of those, one will matter the most. So I'm going to ask you, do you know what that one is? Jesus is going to give it to us in this text, but I wonder if your life reflects it. If my life reflects it. There's always one that matters most. This is a profound principle. Because a lot of us are spending a lot of time on things that are not ultimately going to make the biggest differences in our lives. Now, here's the thing about Mary. She's, you can ask this question. What's better to be? What is better to be? And this is the question we'll answer. What's better to be? A listening disciple or an immaculate host? So let me ask you. What's better than being a listening disciple in your life? Where do you put all your time and energy? Because there's some fill in the blank for you. And Mary is this very soulful, silent person. What I love about Mary is she's the most important person in the story, but she's not the most dominant one. Okay? Which I'll tell you another quote I came across in this book, which is fantastic, by Bob Hawke. says this, The things which are most important don't always scream the loudest. So very often, the thing that's screaming for your attention in the course of your day is probably not ultimate. You're going to have to be more like Mary and soulful. Martha was the loud, defensive. And that's the thing about Mary. She's not defensive at all. If you're Mary, how would you respond? You might say, hey, sister, get your fanny back in there and do your own thing. I'll do my own thing. You'd be snotty. Mary's not snotty. She doesn't say a word. She's not defensive. She's not defending herself. She's literally saying, I'm not finding my significance in how you view me, Martha. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Martha, you can view me any way you want. I don't care if culture says hosting is the most important thing. I don't care if it's 5 o'clock and dinner's going to be served at 5.15. I have discovered what matters the most, and it will get my time first. Even in a crisis. Even in a crisis. It's brilliant. She's not overvaluing others' opinions. She's got a quality of soul every one of us want. Jesus has reprioritized her world socially, culturally, and personally. And if we agree that, she, that Jesus is right here, then we have to ask this question. If we agree Jesus is right here, then we have to ask this question. Why aren't we having quiet times? Why are they so hard to get in our life? Why aren't we spending any quiet time alone with Jesus at his feet, soaking up what he wants us to do with our lives? 
You say, which one are you? Mary or Martha? Well, it's not a hard test. How much time do you spend at Jesus' feet? Compare it to everything else you do. This is a staple habit. Where we, Jesus speaks to the depths of our souls. Do you only go to him when you're overwhelmed? When you need God on your side to be with you, I need you, God, to help me right now to get the thing done that I need the most done because it makes me feel the best and other people really notice it. I get a little praise from it. It props me up in life, and if I lose that, I'm dead. So, Jesus, I'm going to come to you, but I need you to help me get my life together. Jesus saying, dude, nah. And I'm going to say this to you. Uh, Some of us in here have a relationship with Christ and Christianity. It's not very personal at all. It's very religious. You, you, you come to church, and some of the reasons we come to church, you know, you want to hear somebody else talk about their spiritual life and spiritual life. It never really makes it to yours. It's just something you like hearing about. And so it's never personal. It's always sort of a secondhand life. I love listening to other people tell me about their spiritual life, but I don't really have one person. I don't interact with Jesus personally. I come to church really because I feel religious when I feel bad. I love going home after church feeling bad. Because that's what you're supposed to feel when you're religious. Isn't that how we feel sometimes? I got my, I feel bad today. Man, was that great. Right? That's what we do. And so we go, oh, that jolt feels good. And pretty soon you start interpreting that as spiritual. You have no real personal relationship with God at all. And so... What is Jesus saying here? I want you to sit at my feet and I want you to take in my word. I want to give you ultimate perspective, what you need the most. I want to help you see spiritual reality. I want to drive the truth of Christ and what is ultimate home to you every day. So you've got to be in my word to do that. Now, for that to happen, uh, if you think of Martha and you're coming to Jesus with a prayer, get Mary to help me, then you want to be saying to Jesus when you come to him, Lord, I need to internally, I'm internally processing something. And I'm trying to figure out my thoughts and feelings around it and if they're healthy for me or not. Maybe I'm finding too much significance in this. Maybe um, I'm caring about things you're not. Because then, ultimately, I got to figure out what I'm going to do now that I've, because I come to Jesus with all these thoughts and ideas about how I'm going to, and usually if there's an issue or something you got to take to Jesus, usually somewhere lurking in the, in the thing, there's a person associated with it that's going to be affected by me or not affected by me. There's a person somewhere. In the decisions that you're making, there's some person lurking in there that you've got to either please or not please, or how am I going to treat them? Maybe they haven't treated you well, and you're coming to Jesus and saying, yeah, but in my head, it seems like it ought to be this, and so I'm going to withhold love from that person. I guarantee, vast majority of us right now are withholding love from somebody who's hurt us. And if I were to come to you and and sort of detach it from anything going on in your world, then I just said, yeah, I know a guy who just treated another guy like that. 
you'd go, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Ah, but if something happened to me and I had been thinking through it like Martha and culturally and pragmatically and relationally to the point where I've rationalized in my head that I can withhold love from that person or withdraw from them or mistreat them, treat them in a way Jesus would not treat them, I've rationalized that in my head and so now I go do it. And now I've done two things wrong. I've internalized and internally processed this wrong and now I'm gonna go treat somebody wrong. And Jesus is here trying to say, no, I need to change your thinking on that so that you can really see what Arctic ice is, the way the Arctic truly is, what really matters, so that you can go do the right thing. That's usually what's going on in our world. And so with that in mind, let me give you a couple of thoughts, and we'll close. This is the thoughts that I want to give you. Um, first of all, whatever the issue is, why is it bothering me so much? Like, why, why is Martha so worked up? Identity, at stake, praise, criticism. Something's got me worked up. I'm, I got an overinflated view of myself, or I'm oversensitive. But it's a great question. And it goes right to my insecurity and my identity and all those things that really matter. And the second question comes in this one. It was just a thought I had. Uh, I don't think I should assume, it's not really a question statement, I shouldn't assume Jesus is as bothered by it as I am. How about that thought for you? Something bothering you right now? Maybe Jesus would say to you, that's not a big deal. That's language, you have to interpret that. I'm not sure if Jesus even agrees with me. If it doesn't bother him, should it bother me so much? Maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of it than he would. And then I should. And then what action should I take? Should I treat people the way they've treated me or the way Jesus wants me to treat? Should I withhold love? Should I take revenge? What should I do? I read a great line and I can't remember where I found it. I could go to my desk and take about a day and I could find it of my stuff laying around. But it was a phrase in there. So somebody needs to tame your inner brat. So you sit at Jesus' feet. He tames that inner brat because Mary's not a brat and she could easily have responded this way. But something Mary has found in Jesus that is telling her that her identity is in him. Her values are in him. She's not going to let the world, the culture, people, relationships dictate what matters and is ultimately important to her. This is a phenomenal lady. So I'm reading through 1 John right now. Got through the gospel, read it a few times, and now I'm in 1 John and there's five chapters in First John, and so I got to read a chapter a day this week, Monday through Friday. Loved it. It was overwhelming. It's a passage that I, it's a, it's a text that I'm very familiar with, but it's so, it's, it's almost one of the most, uh, of all the New Testament books, there's no New Testament book that just rightly, just gets right to the heart of the matter, right to the surface issues. If you're born of God, you love people. That's it. And I mean no room for any gray, no room for it. And so I'm reading these three chapters, three, four, and five, and by the end of the week, I'm overwhelmed because I have internally processed some things in my head that I don't think reconcile well with what Jesus would want me to think. 
And it's forced me potentially to treat people the way I don't think God wants me to treat them. But sort of my MO. And and my heart just starts melting and like a door swings open. And there's all these ways God wants me to actually act and not the ways that I was thinking prior to reading. Because, I mean, there's, a, there's so many lines in the text, but one of them is, you know, if you have this world's goods and somebody is hurting among you and you don't help them, you don't know me. And all of a sudden, am I holding on to anything? Am I being selfish? Am I not thinking of someone who's in need more than me right now? What is it? What has become ultimate? And so the word of God just penetrates your heart. And the idea that I might be asking God for something he's not really into. Come help me fix this, Lord. Come help me be successful at that, Lord. Come help me, come help me achieve that, Lord. Come help me. And God's like, that's not what I want to help you with. Asking him to bless something like that. So one final thing on here, because, you know, you get to a point and you're hearing this and you're hearing this from God and your heart's melting and you can feel it melting because you're in his word and it's just hitting you right where you hurt. And, uh, and then there's going to come a moment where you realize that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take a loss. You're going to absorb some pain you didn't want. Rather than give pain to somebody, you're going to absorb pain. You're going to forgive somebody and you're going to treat them in a way that you would never have done it. Except that John says, like in 1 John, he says, God loved you first. That's why he can ask you to love others. And you're going, okay, Lord, I'll love them. And you know it's going to cost you. It's going to hurt your pride. It's going to, it's, it may cost you literally something. And you're going to do it. And there's this moment where you realize self-denial is going to, is going to come. And you're going to have to wrap your mind around that. Because following Jesus is not easy. And so one of the things that Mary is able to do her is, is actually sit before his feet and let all that f- just sort of filter away and find out what that is and be willing to do it. There's a great story uh, that's very similar to this one. I want to share it with you as I, as I wrap this talk up. So Mary, in another story, just a little bit further down the road here in John chapter 12. Uh, this is the night before Jesus dies. So this is at the beginning, but the night before Jesus dies, John chapter 12. In John chapter 11, Lazarus is raised from the dead and the religious leaders are nuts. They can't believe it. They're doing everything they can to kill him. They want to kill him. So the tension in the air, if you're around Jesus, is, oh my gosh, this is going to be deadly. You're just looking over your shoulder everywhere. Well, they end up in a house, probably Martha's house. It could be anyone's house, really. I'm not really sure. But she is the host again. Because that's just the role she played. So she's getting everything ready again. And once again, you find Mary who's really taking in what's happening in a way no one else in the room is. The disciples are there. Mary's there. Martha's there. Martha's doing her serving thing. And Mary falls down at Jesus' feet with something very, very precious and valuable to her. It's a, it, it was that, that jar of nard. That nard was from North India, extremely valuable. Just to give you a feel for it, it would be a year's wages. 
to whoever who had it, whoever had it. A year's wages. That valuable. She's been saving it for something. And she knows Jesus is going to die. I mean, this is the nights before, two nights maybe before this is going to happen. And she's feeling that. And and rather than be scared, because the disciples are scared, they're like, they're, 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 they're freaked out. Mary gets down at Jesus' feet again. Okay? And she literally, as he's sitting, reclining, pours this, a pound of this stuff over his head. It's very, very expensive ointment. Over his head, down his body, his clothes, and then, and then puts it on his feet, and then lets her hair down, which women didn't do. This is her being extremely vulnerable to Christ. And then uses her hair to, to wipe his feet with it. Now, you got to know Judas, the selfish one in the room, it always seems to be the selfish one speaks up the most. Judas, this time, not Martha, but Judas is the one who says, well, we could have used that money somewhere else. I think we could have. Jesus has to say to him, dude, you don't realize how she's valuing me, how she sees me. And even your good service that you're talking about is self-centered for you, Judas. And here's the beautiful thing. Mary gets it. Mary accepts the burial. The disciples don't even get it. They're scared. After this event, they're still trying to keep Jesus from going to a cross. Mary has basically embalmed him. That's the visual image. She basically gave him his pre-burial ointment. As if I know you're going to die. And I'm ready to go with you. And I'm going to give up everything valuable to me for you. The disciples, on the other hand, you know what's going to happen in chapter 13? In chapter 13, Jesus is going to wash their what? And it's going to shock them. Peter won't even let him do it. And Mary already did it two nights earlier. How is Mary so far ahead of the other disciples? She's so far ahead of them. Because she has figured out that valuing Jesus is the most important thing. And that if I follow him because, I, because of what I want him to do for me, it'll never be personal and intimate. And I'll never achieve the ultimate. She's figured that out. And she's way ahead of them. And you just want to be her. She... She's able to accept the hard thing, understand the unreasonable thing. You just want to be here. So here's my two simple applications. C.S. Lewis, in, a, in his little essay, Letters to an American Lady, is describing duties like Martha's. Just what it's like to be dutiful when we're all running around doing the things we do. And at the end of it, he says this line, and I loved it, and it just captured me. He said, just you give Mary a little chance. He's describing everybody like Martha. And he says at the end, just you give Mary a little chance. What would it look like for you to give Mary a little chance in your life? Well, in the book Atomic Habits, he has a sort of an interesting suggestion that might help you if you struggle getting your quiet time in, whether it's morning or you can have your quiet time anytime you want, by the way. Mornings... I have learned over the years, I didn't believe this all the time, they tend to, they tend to be very helpful to start the day, uh, and there's, there's just no way to get around that, but if mornings are just the worst for you, you find another time in your routine. Anyway, um, so in Atomic Habits, he, he uses this illustration about 
habit stacking. Uh, some, uh, um, uh, Stanford professor, B.J. Fogg, has this idea of habit stacking, which means you, you just sort of look at your routine in the morning. Whatever your routine is in the morning, let's say you're going to slip it in the morning. He says, don't just try to start a new habit and rearrange your whole day. Just go ahead and take the habits you already have in the morning and insert one right in. It could be anyone. It could be a few exercises. It could be anything. But we're talking about time before Jesus. So you just slip that into two habits that are already in your life. In other words, you pair it up with a habit you've already have. So let's say you wake up in the morning, first thing you do is hit the coffee button. Then right after that, you might think, you know, the next thing I do usually is, is uh, maybe I turn the TV on. Or maybe I start going through social media. Or what other thing you do. But right here you say, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to slip in this habit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the habit of getting alone with Jesus for a few minutes first. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stack it right in there. It's because he says, if you pair it with a habit you know you're going to do already, like, at the coffee button. Then th- this habit sort of gets the momentum of the habit before it, and you just can ride that a little bit. And you, you, maybe it starts out 10 minutes. And so that's how you do it. Well, you know, when I think about my mornings, when I wake up in the morning, the, as soon as my eyes hit, from the, I'm talking about from the time your eyes open, what do you think about, worry about, grab your phone? Uh, what do you do? You so whatever that is for you, for me, my eyes open. And the first thing I always say every morning, it just happens. I don't even, I'm not even trying. It's just gotten that way because I'm a melancholy and I can't, I'm surprised I'm alive. I'm a melancholy. So my first thought is, oh, he let me live again. I literally have that thought. He let me live again. And then the next thing that happens to me, this is the next thing that happens. The top three people hurting in this congregation come to my mind. Right now there's... A few that have made the top list. And before I get out of bed, I pray for them. It's the, it's the very first thing. It can take me 30 seconds. It can take me three minutes. It's not important. Then I get out of bed and times like these, my, my very, very fluffy pajamas. I'm a very big pajama guy. I like being cozy. I put my slippers on. I never walk barefooted anywhere. And I head to the yeah, you got to pee first, but then that's a given. You don't even put that in, right? You don't put that in. Oh, uh, well, one of my routines is, oh, is it? That's all our routine. So you, gotta, you hit the coffee button. I hit the coffee button. I shuffle in, <laughs> coffee, and then immediately grab my phone while it's pouring, and I get to the app where I read. And I grab the, I grab the cup and my thing, and I shuffle over to the spot that I sit in, and I sit down. And I have my quiet time right there. And this is where, this is where I, the word gets to just sort of melt me. And then my day begins. So you just stick that habit in there. Sometimes I'm there 10 minutes. Sometimes I'm there 30 minutes. Infrequently, but occasionally, it could be an hour. Everybody's morning's different. It just depends. No right answer. Uh, so that's what it might look like to give Mary a little chance. Necessary, nourishing, lasting. The things Jesus is going to point me to will be the things that matter the most. So I might add to C.S. Lewis's, how about giving Jesus a chance? 
Let him speak to you. Let him dictate how you think, process, assess yourself, and treat others. Let him put your priority list together. This is your first and most important habit. And let me just say this to you about Mary. Mary, the interesting thing about this story that usually gets left out is the fact that Mary is a woman and no woman was allowed to ever sit at a rabbi's feet. No one could. But the people who end up sitting at Jesus' feet throughout his life are amazing. Samaritans that people didn't like, Gentiles people didn't like, women that people didn't like, immoral people that Jesus didn't like. Find their way there. And Jesus, seen, Jesus says, anyone and all, anytime can come before me. You're all invited to this private, intimate, personal relationship with me. That's the message. Now, you might say, well, you know, I'm not sure I even really believe in Jesus. Well, that's okay. You can still give him a chance. You give everybody else a chance. You're like, I read this guy. You know who this guy is? His name is Gary Keller. Who cares? <laughs> who cares? I let Gary Keller speak to me. I don't know him. And you're going to tell me, well, I don't know about Jesus. Are you kidding? You wouldn't give him a shot? You don't think he'll point you past the immediate and the, and the, and the temporary to the thing that's ultimate the most? Try him. I guarantee he'll do it every time in any category of your life. He'll point you to the ultimate. Give him a chance. All right, why don't you bow your heads? Father, thank you for your word. We love it. We are just uh, overwhelmed by it. So honored to be at your feet. Help us to see your beauty and your value and the wonder of what you, of who you are. Let us be willing to, to pay any price to be with you uh, and, and, and to do what you say and, and to learn to love what you love and, and see what you see as ultimate. And let that be the habit that's the most important in our life. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.